Well, um, we've been in, the, in this little short series on the new year, on 2022. And the first message was on Jesus as our great high priest for you in 2022. The second message was God's holy word for you in 2022. Um, the third message last week was God's prayers for you in 2022. And this week we're kind of finalizing with God's commandment for you in 2022. Uh, it was going to be God's people for you in 2022, but as I look through this text, I realized, uh, and you'll see it, it'll essentially still point to the same thing, but that from the text, I felt like God's commandment for you in 2022 was a little bit more appropriate. Um, I'm going to kind of try to very quickly bypass sort of my introduction for the sake of time. I want you to remember that we've been in the, the power, parable of the vine and the branches from John 15. And, and in the last two weeks, we've looked at the picture of Christ's word remaining in us, his word remaining in us such that our prayers are informed and shaped by that word and then they bear fruit through that word. Um, so our, our message last week revolved around uh, John fifteen seven, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he said, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so we really focused on this call that God has for us to immerse ourselves and treasure and position ourselves to be around his word, to be in his voice, to be in his actual spoken words and to be shaped by those words, to be exposed to them so that we begin to see the heart of Christ through his word so that our prayers are informed by that word, that Christ's heart informs our prayers so that we pray his heart, we pray his desires, we pray what he wants. And God says, when we pray that way, you can know that I've heard you and I will answer you. So that was our, our big application last week and the week before for abiding in Christ is that we want to let his words fill us continually abiding in his words. We want to let those words by our time before his word, we want to let those words shape our heart, shape our desires so that we pray prayers according to his word that he wants to answer. And God says, if you do that, you're going to bear much fruit and you're going to prove to be my disciples. And so Jesus is painting a picture of what does it mean to remain in him and abide in him. And, and that was where we went last week his word remaining in us and our prayers shaped by that word to bear fruit. So <clears throat> now today we're going to look at another aspect of abiding that starts in verse nine of John 15. So if you want to understand where we've been, you can go on our website and listen to the last two messages on this. But today I'm going to jump real quick to verse nine, just for the sake of time. And I'm, I'm going to take you through uh, the second aspect of abiding where Jesus is doubling down on what does it mean to abide in him, okay? So he says that, he uses his metaphor, vine and branches. He says, abide in me, abide in the vine. You're the branches, just like you can't bear fruit, a branch can't bear fruit on its own, so you can't bear fruit on your own, remain in me. And then he, it's very metaphorical, it's very beautiful, but he actually brings in this chapter some concrete expression to that abiding. Last week it was word and prayer. Abiding means we're in his word. Our prayers are shaped by that word. Today, we're gonna to see another concrete expression 
of what it means to abide in Christ, okay? That's what we're looking for here. So verse nine, I'll read for verse nine through 11. <clears throat> As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus makes an astounding proclamation to his disciples. He says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. And this is what Jesus says to you this morning if you belong to him, that he loves you the same way that his father loved him. And if we want to understand what that means, we can kind of invert it. Like if we want to get a sense of like, what does Jesus mean? Like when he says, as the father has loved me, I have loved you. Well, let's look at the way that Jesus loved us. And then we can know that's the way the father loved his son. If we look at the cross, we see the way Jesus loves us. We see the full commitment of Jesus. We see the sacrificial heart of Jesus. We see a love that's completely selfless and completely committed to go to the very ends, to love the beloved. That's the way the father loves Jesus. Jesus is giving us a picture, a window into the Trinitarian dynamic between father and son. When Jesus laid down his life for us, he wasn't just showing us his heart. He was showing us the father's heart. And that, in ways we we aren't completely privy to, is the way the father loves the son. The father loves the son with a full commitment of sacrificial, selfless love. God the father's love for his son is total and full. It is a love full of the deepest commitment possible, conceivable, the greatest compassion possible and conceivable and the greatest selflessness possible. And that is how Jesus loves us. The same love that the father loves the son, he loves you. That's an astounding promise, a beautiful picture into the nature of God and an amazing gift to speak over you today. However you feel about how Jesus feels about you, his word is to trump that feeling. Just as my friend told me this morning, he loves us with the same love the father loves him. That's astounding. May that take root in our hearts and bear fruit. And then he says this, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Abide in my love. That word abide, we've talked about this for a couple weeks. It means remain. It means stay. It means continue. So Jesus is saying, continue, remain, stay in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now this can be confusing. This can be jarring, right? Because we believe that salvation is by grace through faith, not through our obedience or our works. And doesn't Jesus love us when we fail? Doesn't he still love us when, he's, when we sin? He does. But Jesus is, is also telling us here and reminding us there's tension. Those who truly belong to Jesus will remain with Jesus. They will continue with Jesus. They will continue to hold on to Jesus as their savior from their sin. And they will continue to follow him as their Lord. Remember, that's, what we, that's how we broadly defined abiding last week. Abiding is continuing to hold on to Jesus, to put your hope in Jesus as your savior from your sins, and also continuing to follow Jesus as your Lord, depending on his power to do so. So Jesus is being honest with us. He is saying there is no being, staying, continuing in the love of God, and at the same time, continuing, staying in a life of rebellion against God. There is no continuing, staying, abiding in the love of God and living a life of continual, remaining rebellion against God. The Apostle John, who wrote these words today, who was there with Jesus that night, he said in one of his later letters, by this we know that we have come to know him. I have this slide. It should be a couple of slides soon. There we go. John says this, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or some versions might say manifested or completed. By this we know that we are in him The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now a big flashing light disclaimer is needed. Jesus is not, nor is John, demanding perfection. He's not. Jesus assumes that we will struggle with sins. He assumes it when he commands us to forgive one another 70 times 7. The apostle James, Jesus' brother, assumes that we will struggle with sin when he says, not many should be teachers for we all stumble in many ways, including himself in that stumbling. The apostle Paul assumes that we will battle with sin when he commands us to love and forgive one another as Christ forgave you. John tells us that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The author of Hebrews tells us that our sins so easily entangles us. He's talking to Christians. So Jesus' words here have to be read in the context of the whole scripture. We will fight till the day we die with sin. Jesus knows this. The whole Bible assumes this. But the whole scripture, the whole Bible is also clear that if we want to have Jesus as our savior and refuse to have him as our Lord, we're fooling ourselves. If we want to say Jesus is our savior and in our hearts we refuse to have him as our Lord, we're fooling ourselves. We must receive the whole Christ. Yes, he is the savior who gives salvation as a free gift apart from our works of obedience. 
He gives it freely to all who call on him as a gift. That truth saved my life when I was 20 years old. It changed my life when I was 20 years old. I grew up in an environment where if I did good things, I was going to heaven. If I did bad things, I was going to hell. And by the age of 20, I was absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Because I knew that I could not make my heart want God. In fact, God was showing me that my heart was really, really more wicked than I thought. And I needed someone over months to tell me again and again, we are saved, not by what we do, but by grace as a gift through faith in Christ and what he has done for us. And when I finally came to believe that one day in August of 1992, it saved and changed my life. So salvation is a gift from God, freely given to all who call on him for it. But listen, listen, inherent in that salvation to which we are saved is being reconciled to Jesus as your Lord. That is what salvation consists of. You are saved to a relationship with a Lord, not a buddy, not a play pal, not a friend who's just chumming around with you. Yes, he's your friend, but you're saved to a relationship with a God who calls you to follow him because that's what it means to be a God. What I'm saying is the gift of salvation to God does not make any sense unless God really acts as your God. Inherent in the relationship that you are saved into is obedience to a God because that is what it means to be in a relationship with God. Obedience doesn't get you into the relationship. Obedience is simply what it means to be in this kind of relationship. So if obedience isn't part of the relationship you have with God, the relationship isn't really with God because that's what it means to be God to you. (laughs) Think of a marriage. Think of a marriage. This might be helpful. No husband would say to his wife after they get married, hopefully none, (laughs) what's going on in this marriage? It seems like you want me to love you. What are you doing? You're making me earn this marriage. You didn't say I was going to have to be married by my good works or my performance of loving you. What kind of marriage is this? What do you mean that I have to love you and act like I care about you now? I thought our marriage was a free gift. And the wife might wisely say, first, are you drunk? But, but then after that, she might say, of course you didn't earn our marriage. But what is a marriage? If it's not a husband and wife loving each other, that's at the very core of what it means to be married. You didn't earn this marriage, but if we're married, we're married. So Jesus saves us as a gift. But what salvation is, is the gift of being reconciled to a God, to a Lord. So what is salvation? If it's not God being allowed to be our God and we being changed into those who are able to follow him as such. So Jesus says he is asking us to do also what he does in his relationship with God the Father. If you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Jesus himself 
always lives in obedient love with the Father. And, and this is incredibly good news for us, and it takes us back to our first message in this series on Jesus as our great high priest. Because this means Jesus knows not just the joy of obedience, but he knows the difficulty of obedience. He knows he suffered to obey, Hebrews tells us. He suffered through temptations not to obey, Hebrews tells us. And because of that, he knows how to help us with compassion, with sympathy, when each day, different points, it's hard for us to obey. As we talked in that first message, that's when we go back to God through Jesus and we say, Jesus, Father, you know how this feels right now. I don't want to go this way. And you know what it's like to be tempted by, desi- by a temptation. He never sinned. He never gave into that. But he knew, he knew those temptations to walk away from God's path. And he knew how to stand against them and endure them, even suffer through them and stay faithful to God. And so it says that when that happens to us every day, he has compassion and patience and sympathy for us in our struggle to obey God. His heart towards us is compassion and sympathy. And in case we're still suspicious that there's in this obedience, uh, a taskmaster who's harsh to us or a call to live a life of drudgery. Jesus tells us his motive for calling us to this. He says, I'm saying these things to you in verse 11 so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is Jesus' goal for us. Why he wants us to obey his father. Why he wants us to stay close to his word. Why he wants us to pray as we talk, these prayers that reflect his heart. Why is he asking us to do all these things? Joy. He wants us to have joy. True joy. Lasting joy. There is no other kind of real joy than that of being in a, in a right, flourishing, growing relationship with the one who made you. There's no other joy that lasts. There's no other joy that goes as deep. And you who've walked with God, you know this. You who have repented from sins and been restored to a sense of his presence and fellowship, you know this. You know that there is no earthly love, friend, husband, wife, that compares to the kind of joy that God gives in his son. See, God doesn't need your obedience. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need your Bible reading. He doesn't need your prayer. He doesn't need your love for one another. God is completely self-sufficient. God is content and at peace with who he is. He is full of joy as one God and Father, Son, and Spirit. He doesn't need anything from you. But being a God who is love, being a God who is full of joy, he is looking to create beings who can share and feel and experience that joy of being in relationship with him. That's what he is after for you ultimately, is your joy in him. 
Now I want you to notice something important. Jesus, after telling us, obey my commandments, he doesn't list off 10 or even five of God's top commandments. Without stopping a beat, he, he moves from the plural to singular right away. He just says in verse 12, okay, first I've told you obey my commandments. If you obey my commandments, you remain in my lip. And then boom, verse 12, this is my commandment, singular. That you love one another as I have loved you. It's like he's summing it all up. This is the one, brothers, sisters. This is the one. This is the one that catches all the others. If you love me, love one another. You want to love me? Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for, our fr- for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what's his commandment? Love one another as he has loved us. And Jesus finishes in the metaphor in 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, remain, last. So that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus here ends the metaphor on the vine and the branches, on abiding and bearing fruit. And he brings us full circle. Jesus means for us to bear fruit. God will be mightily at work in our prayers as we seek to live obedient to his commands. And this is his command that we love one another as Jesus loves us that we love one another as Jesus loves us. So here Jesus blows the dust off the diamond of what love means. Buried in all kinds of different definitions and categories and different cultures and times, Jesus blows the dust off it and he shows the diamond of what love at its core is really meant to be. Across all nations and cultures with stunning clarity, Jesus says this is love that one lays down his life for his friends. Greater love has none than this. John will remember these words when he'll later write in his own letter, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Paul knows this too. He says it this way in Romans 5. He says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does love, the truest, most beautiful, deepest love express itself? It gives. It sacrifices. It offers itself. Not for what it can get out of the deal. Not transactional. But simply for the sake of of the good of the other. Love wants the good of the beloved, not simply for its own sake, but for the sake of the beloved. Now, if you're like me, much of your love, your affection, your emotional attraction to people can be sourced in what you get from them, what you feel from them. And some of that is absolutely fine. 
We, 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 we love our friend's sense of humor. We delight in it. It's good. It's a gift as far as it can go, right? Bad example this morning. But we might love our wife's beautiful smile or our husband's chin or something. We, 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 that's good. Those are gifts. Beauty can be a gift. We, we love a writer's wit, right? We read C.S. Lewis or we're just like, wow, what a way he has with words. Brilliant mind. I just love it. We love an athlete's ability. For me, what Josh Allen can do with a football. Wish his defense could likewise do that. There's nothing wrong with those things as far as they go. It gets better, right? We love someone's spiritual goodness. We, we see Christ's heart in their, in their gentleness or their, their selflessness. And we love it. We admire them. We want to be like them. That is a great thing. But the love that Jesus is talking about here is something separate from all those kinds of loves, as good as they are. It is the kind of love that loves, not because of what it can get out of the beloved, but just because it loves the beloved and wants the beloved's good It's the kind of love that's sourced not in the worth of the beloved, but in the heart of love of the lover. It's the kind of love that wants what's best for the beloved so much that it's willing to give, to sacrifice, to spend itself on the beloved. That's how God loves you. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. Yes, you have dignity and great worth as one made in his image. But he loves you because he loves. Because he's chosen to love you as his beloved. And the astounding thing here is that Jesus is asking us, calling us, inviting us, commanding us to put on this kind of love. He is asking us to put on who he is. Which brings us back to the vine and the branches, right? Like he, he's asking us to, to, to walk out his nature of, of that kind of love, to be filled with who he is as that kind of lover so that we can love one another that way. This, this is what makes the vine branch analogy really clear. He means for us to truly love one another in an impossible way. To love one another so fully that we give of ourselves for each other and to find our joy in loving each other, not what we get from each other. To find our joy in the beloved being loved. To find our joy in the beloved one, the person we're loving, being helped. To find our joy in the beloved one brought closer to goodness and health and Jesus through our care. It is a supernatural, not of this world, impossible kind of love. And he is committed to give us that ability. He is committed. That's the whole point here of the vine and branches analogy. That he's committed to give that sap that's in his vine from his father to him to us through his branches. Which, you know, again, looking at this whole analogy, it's why he wants us in his word. We can see that this is the shape of his heart. And we can pray these prayers to love our neighbor as ourself, to lay down our lives for one another, which takes supernatural power. And he loves to answer those prayers. 
he loves to give us the ability to find joy, not in what we can get out of people, but in loving them and watching them be blessed and prosper in him. Because that's how he is, right? That's his heart. But our love for each other in this process calls for a kind of dying, a kind of laying down our lives for each other. In our current situation, in our current culture, our love for each other in this way will, may not involve dying for one another. It certainly will never ever mean dying for one another's sins. But it will cost. For some of us, we, will, we may be called to mission work and we may be called to truly lay our lives down for one another or for the lost. Some of you know people who know folks that that's happened to. I, I, I was raised in, well, part of my Christian upbringing was in a church called Cherrydale and we saw some of Cherrydale's missionaries in South America get kidnapped and I believe at least one of them lost their lives. But for many of us, if not most of us, that's not going to be the way that it will cost us. But loving with the love that Jesus loves, if it's going to be that love, it will be willing to sacrifice. It will cost. And, and he, I just, as we close here, I want to just paint a few pictures of what it might cost. Maybe God will put his finger on your heart and say, yeah, Lord, help me. Help me love that way. It's hard for me right now. These are ways that it would be hard for us to love because it's hard for us to give, to sacrifice this way. So here are some ways we might think about it. It might cost money and property to love. That might be an area for you where you need God's grace more to help you give. If John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So Jesus calls us to be ready and willing to help one another with material needs. Some of us have needed a place to stay and you've been called to give them a spare bedroom or couch. Some of us have needed help with mortgages, electric bills, car repairs. That's why we have a benevolence fund. But sometimes it, it just happens member to member and the church leadership never hears about it. Of course, we want to do these things wisely we don't want to enable idleness. We don't want to fund rebellion. There's other pictures in scripture that call us to the kind of care we should take when we give. But every one of us is a debtor every single day to God's mercy. We are all debtors of the most significant kind. And so how can we fail to offer ourselves to brothers and sisters when they need help? In this way, our nation is more well-off than others, obviously. And, and so we might think that we could look at other scriptures. There is a priority of member-to-member care in churches. The first care for the needy should go to those in our proximity in our own church. But because of the, the, the wealth in our nation, we, we should be considering especially impoverished brothers and sisters around the world. And many of you guys, if not all of you guys do, whether you're supporting Compassion International or Gospel Haiti. This should be a normal way that we love each other. 
but, but in our church family, more often than not, our sacrifices will go beyond, beyond material possessions. And they will move into the realm of, of what we, we, we might call spiritual needs. Spiritual, not material needs. And this has real implications for us right now. If we peruse the rest of the New Testament writings to, to kind of fill out what does it mean to love one another as Christ has loved us, what does it mean to lay down our lives for one another? We'll hear these phrases and words that kind of paint this big menu of ways to love. Things like bear with one another. Some of us are going to be hard to live with for a, for a long while. And Paul says, endure, bear up, forbear with one another. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Some, we're all going to, you know, someone once said, if you're in a relationship long enough, you will be disappointed and you will be disappointing. Be in any relationship long enough, you will be disappointed, you will be disappointing. And so Jesus says, endure, forbear, stay. There are qualifications, physical safety, abusive relationships, right? But his goal isn't those things, break down our relationships. His heart is forbear, forgive. Other words, be compassionate, be kind, be humble, be meek. Harder words, warn each other, correct each other, exhort each other. Don't neglect meeting with each other. Watch over each other. Teach each other. Counsel each other. Console each other. Bear each other's burdens. Spur each other on to good deeds. All these activities, if we start to really think through them, they imply different ways that we're going to be called to lay down our lives, to lose ourselves. Think of time. That's a big sacrifice that God calls us to make. The kind of love the Lord calls us to in all these words, it involves, it involves knowing one another. You can't forgive, you can't forbear, you can't be patient, you can't be humble, you can't exhort, you can't encourage, you can't comfort, you can't counsel. People you don't know. People you don't spend time with. And so we can't love people the way that Jesus calls us to if we don't spend time with them. We have to be listening to them. We have to be drawing them out. We have to be walking with them through seasons of life. This means that we have to give one another the precious gift of time. This is real cost. Your time is not unlimited. It is absolutely limited. Your time has costs. There are responsibilities that you really have to children, to spouses, to parents, to brothers, to sisters that are blood relatives that God wants you to take seriously. So there's wisdom needed here. Your time is precious. Not to mention your time can just be spent in much more attractive, easier, comforting ways than listening to a depressed friend or talking again to somebody who's going off of God's ranch for the 19th time. It's easier when I wake up still, I'm in this 30 day challenge of Bible reading. Every day I wake up, I want my phone. You know, my heart, mind, my flesh cries out for you, oh phone. And, and being in this 30 day challenge has been so helpful for me. Just say, nope, 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 nope. I made a commitment that I'm gonna go to God as soon as I can. I'm gonna try to go to God before I go to anything else. 
but it's easier to be on your phone. It's easier to watch TV. It's easier to scroll through stuff than it is to purposefully invest and give yourself, I mean, give yourself to your, your kids or your spouse, much less to your brothers and sisters in your church. Another thing it's going to cost us to love the way Jesus wants to love us is our affinities. It's going to cost us some of our affinities. An affinity is defined as, quote, a spontaneous or natural liking or sympathy for someone or something. We all naturally gravitate to people who stimulate us, who are like us, who see things the way we do. Soulmates, we might call them. I love soulmates. Soulmates are a gift from God. Jonathan David, soulmates officially blessed, right? All wonderful relationships that I hope everybody gets to experience. And may God bless you with those relationships. But listen, (laughs) the church is to be a place filled with non-soulmates finding love for each other through Jesus. The church is a place filled with rich and poor, with Jew and Gentile, with slave or free, with male and female, where affinities are overcome by Christ. The church should be a place where the introvert and the extrovert love each other. The funny and the serious, the white collar graduate and the guy who's still working in his GAD, the black and the white, the young and the old, the single and married, gathering together and loving one another for the sake of Jesus working through awkwardness, working through even language barriers if possible. But if you look at the dance card of the people you invest in and all you see, I'm not saying none of these people, but if all you see are folks that you naturally like, folks who fulfill you, who stimulate you, be careful that you aren't simply cloistering yourself in personality cliques, even in the church. If Jesus calls us to love people sacrificially, this means that not getting stuff out of them, good stuff, like stimulation and fulfillment, this means that not connecting the way I like are not excuses not to love people. They're not excuses not to listen and to care. So I just leave that with you to pray about. No one can tell you what the exact mixture is, but you and the Lord can work it out. Another thing it will cost us is focus is focus. And I don't mean ADHD focus. That certainly is there. What I mean is this. We can't love people the way that Jesus wants us to, the way the scriptures call us to, if we don't orient our attention, our focus around Jesus. Around Jesus. If I met with you and you were a Buffalo Bills fan or a Roger Federer fan or a Tom Brady fan, I like Tom Brady. If you were a police fan or early R.E.M., or some Radiohead, we could just talk for hours. If you loved great cinema, we could talk about films. It would just fulfill me. I would be so excited to talk to you about all those things. I would have a blast with you. And some of that stuff is good. It's a gift. But if I'm going to love you, if I'm going to love you, and if you're going to love me the way that Christ calls us to, we must let him be at the center of our friendship. It doesn't mean that's all we talk about. It doesn't mean we don't talk about those other things or our work or our families, but there must be ways and means that you and I, if we're close, are regularly bringing Christ into the center of our relationship and trying to help one another in him, trust him and obey him. And that will cost us. It will cost us talking about just the things that are fun and comfortable for us. 
It will cost us focus. It will cost us comfort and pride. It will cost us comfort and pride. If we're loving sacrificially the way that Jesus intends us to, this means we don't only love when it feels comfortable. There will have to be times when we'll have to look one another in the eye and say, I'm concerned for you. And I may not be seeing the picture. I may be really wrong, but I am concerned for you. When boy, would it be easier just to let sleeping dogs lie. I mean, if you love those kind of conversations, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> like, who wants to say that? If you actually do enjoy bringing up a possible concern or offense, that's a major red flag. So that's a different kind of cost for you. But for most of us, those are very difficult things. They are full of risk. They're full of getting it wrong. They're full of potential pride or hurt feelings. But it is what God calls us to watch one another. Exhort, warn, those are in scripture. So it should cost us some comfort to be faithful, to gently and humbly bring up concerns will cost us some comfort for the sake of one another's spiritual welfare. Perhaps even to the point where we have to resist patterns of enabling we've participated in in the past. I think especially for some of my, my sisters who are in certain kinds of relationships, it can be, In my experience, it can be harder sometimes for women who are caught up in a dynamic of being maybe abused um, emotionally, who, who sometimes become enablers of that kind of abuse. And, and it can be very challenging for them to stand up and say, look, this feels bad for me, but it's not even good for you in Christ to keep talking to me this way, to keep walking this way in our marriage. It's not good I certainly don't like it, but it's also not good for you. And so that's, that's a crucial area of, of costing. And on the other side of that conflict, not that one, but all conflicts, on the other side, if we're receiving that kind of care, we might want to close our hearts when we hear. Instead of asking God for the grace to listen and be open if he's trying to get our attention May be wrong, may, be, may not be wrong, but, but, but it might be an occasion for us to have to ask forgiveness, to confess a sin, to admit a weakness or a real struggle. And so it costs pride in those moments. It's a sacrifice we have to give up of pride. So loving sacrificially as Christ commands will involve our comfort, our pride. The, the, there are more categories you can probably think of if we process this. You can think of your own, but, but I want to ask as we close, as we move towards communion, please consider how might God be calling you to position yourself to love sacrificially in this season? Where might he be calling you to lay down your white life? And, and maybe when it comes to relationships, your, your dance card really is full. You look at your current responsibilities and you simply don't have any more room to add another person to the menu of your care. But, but if you look around this room and, and you're part of our church and, and you're not connecting with brothers and sisters here in meaningful relationship and yet time and focus are available to give, Please hear Jesus saying, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And I, I do believe the scripture would say there's, there's no better place to start with that 
then your family, your local church family, outside of your own home, which is the priority. Jesus would say, look around. These are the brothers and sisters he's given you. He's, approx- he's proximated to your lives right here. Love them. As I have loved you, love one another. And, and recognize why he's calling us to that. Because there's joy in that. There's joy in that. There is fruit to bear. There is a deeper sense of his abiding presence to experience. And there is joy to find in that kind of giving. And though we can't talk much about this today, I I also really believe that as we press into one another, there are inroads to be made in our mission to reach the lost around us. Lost souls who long to be loved as Christ has loved us. Lost souls who long to see that actually happening somewhere. People who, who long to, to actually experience the kind of community where the muscles of sacrificial love are actually operating. And when they see it, they know it's what they need. They know it's what they're made for. So there, there's a symbiotic relationship in, in, this, in this particular section of John of our inward mission, our outward mission. As we care for our own living room, so to speak, the guests we invite find it hospitable. Nobody wants to invite guests over to a house that's full of dishes and animal stuff and smashed in TVs. And, you know, when we have guests, my wife wants to make the house really nice. And, And God wants us to make the house of the people outside Christ who need him, he wants us to make the house here beautiful for them. Beautiful for you, but beautiful for them as well. So so let's ask the Lord to move us deeper into a place where loving our brothers and sisters is a reality that we experience here and a light to the lost to see that love can happen. There are different ways to approach this. One final plug for the DRs on Tuesday night. Seven o'clock here, we're going to talk about that method for connecting regularly with each other. So please consider that if you haven't already. Um, it, I do think that is a great way to do the work of loving one another in the ways we talked about today. But let's end with communion. Would you guys take these little guys?